Welcome to the Journal of Community and Supportive Oncology podcast for the month of July, August 2017. I'm Dr. David Henry. This month we begin with a recap editorial by our editor, Dr. Skip Burris, on what happened at ASCO 2017 of note. We follow that with a review of a multidisciplinary survivorship program in a group of mostly Hispanic women with breast cancer. That follows with a lovely review of immunotherapies and how they shape the coming landscape for treating hematologic malignancies. Our How We Do It section gives a review of goals of care discussion. We have an original report on bone modeling associated with CTLA-4 inhibition as a possible new side effect or benefit. We review the management of polycythemia vera in the community oncology setting. We have an original report on Onodera Prognostic Nutritional Index in soft tissue sarcoma as a predictor of wound complications. And we have a several short subject reviews by various authors highlighting also what happened at this year's ASCO 2017 in Chicago. And we conclude with two case reports, one on high-grade pleomorphic sarcoma with colon metastasis and the other intermedullary spinal cord leptomeningeal metastasis presenting as cauda equina syndrome in a patient with melanoma. So let's begin. So ASCO 2017 was really quite good this past June. Had many exciting presentations, some claiming new standard of care or at least new approaches and new therapies. Our co-editor, Dr. Skip Burroughs from the Sarah Cannon Cancer Center in Nashville, reviews them. He began with discussing the PARP inhibitors in BRCA mutated cancers, which have been effective and approved in advanced ovarian cancer as distant line therapy after failing first and second line therapy. The Olympiad study reviewed elaborate monotherapy versus physician's choice chemotherapy in BRCA mutated HER2 negative breast cancer. This two-to-one design study in 300 patients demonstrated a three-month improvement in progression-free survival for laparib versus the control arm. The AFFINITY, that's A-P-H-I-N-I-T-Y, AFFINITY study was a presentation of 4,800 breast cancer patients in the adjuvant setting HER2 positive, randomizing them to receive chemotherapy trastuzumab and with or without pertuzumab added. This highly anticipated controversial study was positive, but marginally so. However, it did seem to perhaps have more clinically significant outcome in those patients who were node positive or hormone negative. Less so in node negative and hormone positive. The IDEA, IDEA study was also potentially practice changing with Fulfox or KPOX in over 12,000 patients accumulated across six studies in several countries evaluating disease-free survival in post-op adjuvant colon cancer randomizing three months versus six months of adjuvant chemotherapy. Three months of therapy seems adequate for stage three T1 to three N1, and N1 is one to three nodes disease, but six months therapy was better, better outcomes for those with T4 tumors or N2, that is more than three lymph nodes positive. The three months approach, of course, would spare many patients the excess peripheral neuropathy effect of the oxaliplatin. Finally, the LOXO-101 study described a tropomycin receptor kinase, or TRK, inhibitor, larotrectinib, in those patients with a TRK fusion mutation. In such patients across any and all tumors, there was a 76% response rate, that's 76%, and a 91% duration of response at six months. Clearly, these patients we should look for in our tumor mutation analyses for newly diagnosed or failing metastatic cancer in case they have this mutation 
and may respond well to this new drug. Next, assessing a multidisciplinary survivorship program in a group of predominantly Hispanic women with breast cancer by Dr. Zena Nela and colleagues from the Marone Cancer Center Cleveland Clinic, Western Florida. 94 patients, over 90% Hispanic, were included in this 12-month analysis. 60 patients completed all follow-ups at 12 months. A significant improvement from baseline was observed for patient health and anxiety measures. While historically controlled, the authors believe these findings represent an outcome in these Hispanic women of significant improvement in anxiety, depression, and overall mental health when offered and participate in a very specific survivorship program for the 12 months following the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer, and their program points are detailed in the article online. Next, Immunotherapy, Shaping the Treatment Landscape for Hematologic Malignancies by Dr. Jane Lartigue. In this past year, who hasn't heard of and are prescribed immunotherapy for patients with advanced cancer? There are labeled approvals for the checkpoint inhibitors for Hodgkin's disease, renal cell carcinoma, lung cancer, bladder cancer, and melanoma. But what about hematologic malignancy? Of course, the most famous and just recently FDA-approved therapy is for refractory ALL, and this is the CAR-T, chimeric antigen receptor T-cell story. Unfortunately, the current price for this highly technical and scientifically advanced therapy would be nearly half a million dollars. But it is nevertheless extraordinarily groundbreaking and immunologically and scientifically novel. Basically, the patient's own T cells are removed ex vivo and exposed to the patient's tumor antigen, making them highly specific and augmented against this tumor antigen, and then reinfused into the patient where they literally grow to greater numbers and go to work against the tumor. While occasionally quite toxic with an inflammatory cytokine release syndrome, this therapy has proven highly successful in relapse refractory acute lymphoblastic leukemia, with other targets being evaluated. And then, of course, reviewed in this article by Dr. Delartigue are other immunotherapies, including the antibody rituximab, approved in 1997 against the CD20 antigen, and the recent FDA approval for two other CD20-targeted antibodies, ofatumumab and obinutuzumab. Both these newer CD20 antibodies have approvals in refractory or advanced first-line CLL, and they're making their way into our clinics. Myeloma had a banner 2016 year with multiple approvals, including daratumumab and elituzumab, against the targets CD38 and CS1, respectively. Both can be quite active in the relapse refractory setting, while daratumumab has single-agent activity, elituzumab must be used in combination, typically with lenalidomide and dexamethasone. Then there's the antibody drug conjugate antibodies, which uh, have come to our clinic with brentuximab vidotin, approved in Hodgkin's disease as a CD30 antibody and a vidotin toxin conjugate. A CD22 antibody drug conjugate may soon be available for relapse refractory ALL. The biospecific bite, and that's B small i capital T E T cells, that's biospecific bite T cells, are now in the clinic with the first FDA approved member of this drug class, blinitumumab. This bite biospecific antibody binds both T cells and tumor cells and literally brings them together to assist killing the tumor cell. And finally, we already have the Bruton's tyrosine kinase, so called BTK drug, active in the clinic with a Brutinib for the treatment of mantle cell lymphoma in 2013 
and subsequently for patients with CLL, Waldenstrobes, and recently marginal zone lymphoma. This very thorough review by Dr. Dr. Dilatique has multiple graphics to illustrate mechanism of action of these new drugs and several large tables of what drugs are available and or in clinical trial and for what diseases. So I recommend you review this online at our website, jcso-online.com, to see this information as it might be necessary to use for your patients with hematologic malignancies. In oncology, we take care of desperately ill patients, many of whom get better, but sadly, many of whom do not. So the goals of care discussion, unfortunately, enters the care plan and discussion with our patients and families from time to time. In this How We Do It section, entitled Goals of Care Discussion, by Dr. Catherine Zeke and colleagues from the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, this approach is reviewed. This interesting article not only gives an approach to the patient, but also provides an EMR template to facilitate this goals of care discussion. In this article, you will find a 17-point table highlighting patient information and preference, how to discuss progressive disease, how to discuss advanced care planning, who are your healthcare proxies, spiritual, family, and financial matters, hospice, and end-of-life care discussions, and daily living provider contact information, all necessary to put into play at this time in a patient's life and care. For those of us who have to have this discussion routinely, I suspect, which is most of us, this is a welcome review with a very nice template you could put into your EMR. Next, bone remodeling associated with CTLA-4 inhibition, an unreported side effect by Dr. Arpit Rayo from the University of New Mexico Comprehensive Cancer Center, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Preclinical investigations have shown that CTLA-4 can cause inhibition and cause cytokine-mediated increase in bone remodeling, a potential benefit side effect for a patient. In this study of CTLA-4 inhibition by ipilimumab, 14 of 39 patients reported having bone pain, at least during one of their treatment cycles, compared with only 25% of the chemotherapy-only cohort. This trend was statistically significant. Alkinphosphatase levels were trending higher in the ipilimumab cohort, although not significantly so. This original report suggests that we should investigate further CTLA-4 inhibition and its effect on bone metabolism as it might have a positive benefit for our patients in the short term. Management of polycytemia vera in the community oncology setting by Dr. Michael Grunewald and colleagues from the Levine Cancer Institute in Charlotte, North Carolina. Current treatment strategy for polycythemia vera is for all patients to receive low-dose aspirin and phlebotomy with hematocrit goals of less than 45% in males and less than 42% in females. Some patients may benefit from cytoreductive therapy, typically beginning with hydria as well. PVR is typically associated with a Janus kinase 2 or JAK2 mutation, while the cow reticulin or MPL mutations may be more indicative when positive of primary thrombocytosis. Causes of death for patients with PVR include cardiovascular and thrombotic events, development of secondary solid tumors, disease transformation to myelofibrosis, and or AML. In the European Collaboration on Low-Dose Aspirin in Polycythemia, or ECLAP-ECLAP study, of 1,600 patients, 45% of deaths resulted from cardiovascular causes. Besides low-dose aspirin, the maintenance of patients below 45% hematocrit for males, 42% females, 
lowers the cardiovascular and CNS event risk by fourfold. This article has a figure two reviewing the major and minor criteria for diagnosing P-Vera. The major criteria include hemoglobins over 16.5 in men or 16 in women, a bone marrow biopsy showing hypercellularity for age, and the presence of the JAK2V617F mutation. There is one minor criterion, which is a subnormal serum EPO level. PVR diagnosis would require all three major criteria, or two of those three, and the single minor criterion, that EPO level. This is all nicely reviewed in Figure 2, and you can review this entire article online. Besides phlebotomy, cytoreductive therapy could be hydroxyurea or occasionally interferon for high-risk patients, which includes those with a history of thrombosis or those over 60. This article also includes a flowchart reviewing the strategy in Figure 3. The other approved therapy of ruxolitinab, the oral JAK1, JAK2 inhibitor, has been approved for P-Vera, but in patients who have an inadequate or intolerant response to hydroxyurea, although this therapy is most effective in those with the myelofibrosis conversion who have constitutional symptoms and splenomegaly, where it actually can be quite effective. Onodera's prognostic nutritional index in soft tissue sarcoma patients has a predictor of wound complications by Dr. Taewon Kim and colleagues from the Orthopedic Surgery Program and Cooper University Hospital, Camden, New Jersey. Onodera's prognostic nutritional index, abbreviated OPNI, has been a predictor of complications in patients undergoing gastrointestinal surgery. The, OPI, the OPNI index predicting wound complications from soft tissue sarcoma remains unknown. These authors took this formula, which simply is 10 times the albumin level plus 0.005 times the total lymphocyte count, and that gives you the OPNI index. 44 patients were included in this study. Patients with an OPNI score of less than 45.4 and older than 73 years had the highest prediction of wound complications after radiation therapy of soft tissue sarcoma. These authors suggest that proactive use of OPNI might be an important modifiable factor to help decrease wound complications in these patients. Making the difference in cancer care. This is several small abstracts, again from ASCO 2017. Dr. Bash from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, detailed 770 patients with various metastatic cancers of breast, lung, GUGYN, who randomized to a self-reporting intervention arm versus not, and found a five-month improvement in overall survival for those in the self-reporting intervention arm. Dr. Carrie Oakes reviewed the Mona Lisa II trial of 334 patients, wherein ribociclib, letrozole, was versus letrozole alone in metastatic hormone receptor-positive HER2-negative cancer. Not only was there improvement in survival, but the authors highlighted improvement in quality of life in the combination CDK4-6 inhibitor arm. Dr. Bird from Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio, reviewed the Phase three randomized Resonate trial of ibrutinib versus ovatumumab in almost 400 CLL or small lymphocytic lymphoma patients. Results strongly favored the ibrutinib arm. Progression-free survival was not reached in the ibrutinib arm compared with 8.1 months in the antibody arm. The three-year PFS for ibrutinib or of combination with antibody was 59% versus only 3% for the antibody only. Finally, Dr. Mozart reviewed the adjuvant use of the anti-angiogenic pazopinib 
in the postoperative adjuvant setting for resected renal cell carcinoma in the PROTECT trial. Unfortunately, this study did not show an improvement in disease-free overall survival in the adjuvant setting, so it was a negative trial. We have two case reports, one the management of high-grade pleomorphic sarcoma with colon metastasis, where surgery was considered, or then chemotherapy with the gemcitabine docetaxel regimen better than the standard doxorubicin treatment. And another case report was intermedullary spinal cord and leptomeningeal metastasis presenting as cordoquinus syndrome in a patient with melanoma. This patient was treated with steroids, intrathecal methotrexate, but unfortunately, the patient ultimately went on to hospice care. And that concludes this month's podcast for the Journal of Community and Sportive Oncology, July-August 2017 issue. We are now entirely online, so I encourage you to visit us at our website, jcso-online.com, or you can follow me on Twitter, where my name is at DavidHenryMD. If you visit our website, you can review the current issue and all previous archived issues and search keywords for articles of interest. And of course, we thank you for listening.